Well, uh, Sunday night, I jumped off my couch in expectation of what was going to happen because I was watching the Super Bowl. Anybody see the Super Bowl? So, Patriot fans, I applaud you. Uh, it was exciting to know that they crossed the finish line and uh, won uh, Super Bowl in overtime. That's the first uh, overtime in Super Bowl history. And they did it as a team, right? They did it as a team. And uh, the game wasn't all that great because, you know, of the halftime show, so Lady Gaga aside. But the game was great, and um, we're going to talk about uh, transforming relationships. So what I need you to do is just turn to your neighbor for a second. Put your hand to theirs like this, okay? Just hold it up to theirs. On the count of three, I want you to pull it apart. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, that's pretty easy. Okay, now put it, put it together again. Now uh, interlock your fingers. Okay, on the count of three, one, two, three, go. No, you're supposed to hold on. There is power in relationship. There is power in relationships. And as Glenn was mentioning, we have uh, a statement, and we're just going to kind of read this together. Well, I guess I have the thing here. Uh, we're going to read this together. Uh, so why don't we just stand for a second? Let's read it out loud. We believe that according to the Genesis narratives, and that's the end of that, uh, every person is created as male or female in the image of God to worship and obey God, to build community, and to care for creation. Just as God is essentially relational, a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are each for the other, so persons are essentially relational beings formed through relationship with God and with others. Good reading. You can have a seat. So uh, I'm going to call this uh, Transform Together. This is actually a theme taken from our leadership retreat, and uh, those of you who are student leaders this year, we've been focusing on this, uh, talking about how we can be transformed together as a community. And so that's kind of my big idea together, that we would be transformed together. I want to just take us to uh, scene one. Uh, this is where God creates relationship. And the story doesn't begin with me or you. It begins with God. There's something out there greater than us, and this God, whoever he is, created us out of nothing, and I want to just take us to Genesis chapter 1 for a second. You know this story. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what do we find out, by God, uh, find out about God? We find out that he is somehow this creator, and he has a spirit. The spirit is hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and God said. Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 11, then God said. Verse 14, and God said. Verse 20, and God said. Are you tracking with me here? Verse 24, and God said. Verse 26, then God said. We know that this God is also living word. So God is this creator, Holy Spirit, and living word. We find it later in Scripture that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have loved, served, and adored, and enjoyed one another for eternity. That's amazing. 
They have been in constant relationship, equal. God values relationship. And we know that He created us, verse 27 of Genesis 1, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now, God didn't have to create us. He existed in perfect relationship from all eternity. But God created us to share in His love, joy, and service, to worship Him, and to live in other-centered relationship. Did you hear that? Other-centered relationship. Chapter 2 of Genesis, we get a more detailed picture of what that kind of looks like. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had appeared. No plant had sprung up. And water came out and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed a man, it says, by what? How did he form him? By dust. And he breathed into him. And man became a living being. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. Where's his head, right? You just, I, that's all I had to work with, okay? So, God creates man, and what does he do? He, he puts him in the middle of the garden, this beautiful garden, to tend it and to work it. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam's job was to work it, and to take care of it. But God commanded him and said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. Now remember, this is just God talking to Adam here. Eve isn't on the scene yet. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. See, everything in this, up to this point had been created good, but at this point, Adam was alone in the garden, walking around, tending the garden. So God formed out of the dust again the beasts of the field, and He kind of brought them to Adam to see what He would name them. And you can imagine, right? You see this little thing running up? Adam's like squirrel. It's like, God, I don't think that's really going to do it. She's a little nuts, you know. And you see this creepy thing crawling around with big teeth, and he's like, alligator. God, I just, I don't think that's going to work out for us. She's, you know, sharp teeth and kind of a little nasty. And so a little later on, the gorilla, Adam's like, getting closer, God, but her breath could peel a banana. <laughs> Nothing's going to work. So God's like, man, okay. He says, Adam, I want you to fall asleep for a second. And so he puts Adam to sleep and does the first surgery, and he yanks out a rib. He goes to work. And up comes <laughs> Eve. I know what you're thinking but this is a PG chapel. <laughs> and so he creates Eve. And he looks at her, and he's like, 
what is this thing? And he's like, whoa, man, that is amazing, God. I'm sure he's thinking, God, what if I gave you my arm? Like, what could you do then? But This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And we know this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Right? This togetherness. Togetherness is powerful. Dr. Julie Gorman says, the concept of community is deeply rooted in biblical soil right back to the garden. And part of Adam's likeness was never meant to be without relationship. Did you catch that? The Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Part of what it means to be made in the image of God is relationship. Relationship. Togetherness. God created relationship. The second scene is that sin hinders it. Chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. You can imagine him. He's crawling around the garden. Right? He's not slithering at this point. He's crawling around. He had feet or something. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Now, did you catch that? The command originally was given just to Adam. Just to Adam. So at some point, Eve must have been talking with Adam, and Adam must have told her, Eve, there's one thing that you can't do. You can't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must touch, not touch it, or you will die. And we all know the slimy serpent, he whispered to Eve, and when she saw that the food or the, the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. And she gave it to her husband. And I just want to stop here and say, I think there's some biblical theology here for the fact that women are actually smarter. Because it took the craftiest, craftiest of all beings to tempt Eve. But when it came to Adam, she's like, honey, you want a bite? So just, you know, giving it out there for the women out there. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you picture that? I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses. Just this relationship that God had with his creation. The Lord called to the man, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And we see from that one bite of the fruit, sin devoured relationship, and Adam and Eve became broken, not only began to blame one another, but they were isolated from each other. And a whole series of events triggered from that point.
Now, I was so enamored with the story of the fall that my mom tells me that I dressed up and ran around the backyard like Adam. And um, I really didn't get, get the sense of the fall, right? I thought it was kind of funny. But it, it's actually really uh, terrible. Julie Gorman says, We view people in society as things to be used for individual satisfaction and growth. It goes without question that the individual predominates over the group, and this mentality threads through our approach to all strata of relationship building. Friendship today is viewed as meeting my personal needs. The passion for self-fulfillment at any cost has accentuated our need for personal autonomy and separateness. We can decide on our own. Nobody tells us what to do. This is a far cry from what is painted in the scriptures because individualism at its very core is a distortion of the biblical worldview. And you know what the essence of sin is? It is going our own way, doing our own thing, and being stubbornly rebellious against God and against others. I really appreciate uh, Robert Thrun and Will Walker's work on community, and they talk about the um, five indicators of individualism, and I want to walk us through these. The first one is self-reliance. And I want us to just, as I, as I read through these, I want you to figure out, is this me? Is this me? You're proud of your ability to deal with your own problems and challenges without help from others. You enjoy being asked for help, but you rarely ask others for help. It's difficult for you to be vulnerable about what's going on in your soul because those are my issues to deal with. You don't honestly think you need people to grow spiritually. Personal spiritual disciplines are sufficient. So all I have to do is engage in Bible study, prayer, and theological reading. It's hard for you to receive gifts or help from people or help people from people without wanting to pay them back. That's self-reliance. The second one is self, uh, self-sufficiency. You may be thought of as a good Christian by others, but few people know you as you really are. You may even be outgoing and extroverted, but your relationships stay on the surface. Very few people have full access to your life. You may disclose things to people, but only what you want them to know. You don't want them to dig deeper. When relationships get hard, you tend to withdraw rather than deal with the issues. You tend to measure spiritual growth by how much you know. The next one is self-protection. You tend to keep others at arm's length to guard against being hurt or rejected. You measure spiritual growth or maturity by what others say or think. You fear at times that if people knew the real you, they would keep their distance. You avoid conflict. If people offend you or hurt your feelings, you prefer to say nothing rather than risk anger or rejection. You might be addicted to approval. Your sense of value rises and falls in what other people say or do not say about you. Self-importance. You tend to be addicted to busyness. It's the way you fill the void of deep relationships in your life. You have a high concern or respect from others, attention, then you have a sense of responsibility for others, sacrifice. You're more concerned about what others think of your accomplishments than what they think of your relational influence in their lives. You tend to measure spiritual growth by what you have accomplished. Last one is self-will. You regularly choose worker hobbies over people, Your schedule and priorities always take precedence. You don't reshuffle your agenda to help or serve others. You like having people around, but you don't tend to take their advice or welcome their correction. 
And when it comes to church, you tend to ask consumer-oriented questions like, what do I like or not like? How does this make me feel? What do I get out of this? Your wants and goals are functionally prioritized over the needs of the community and the mission of the church. Wow. Man, I, I am in all of those. Because of the fall, we are broken. Relationships are broken. But if I just stayed there, we'd be disappointed because there's good news, and that is that Jesus redeems relationship. You see, this God who existed eternally in three persons sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to live in our neighborhood and to actually show us how relationships were to be lived out by loving one another and being others-focused. And this Jesus, this sinless Son of God, went to the cross for you and I to die in our place so that even in our brokenness, we might find reconciliation and restoration. You might say, well, Kelly, I'm a Christian. I still have messed up relationships, so how does that work? Well, I do too. And even though that Jesus has redeemed and delivered us, we still live in this tension between the now and the not yet when everything will be made right that Revelation talks about. And there's a sense in all of us that we still want to run back to the garden. We still want to live in this place where we're broken and we want to focus on self and, our, and what makes, our, make us, makes us feel good. Colossians 2, 6-7 says, Though then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted up and built up together in community. We're transformed together. We're transformed together. We're not to live lives on our own. When Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, He ascended into heaven, and He sent the Holy Spirit to help us in our relationships. In real Christian relationships push us to depend more on Jesus and the gospel. That's why we have to keep coming back to Jesus and the gospel. Because there are two ways to live, live in relationships, even as Christians. One is in functional relationships where I am at the center. I value relationship for how well they function to fulfill needs and desires and what they do for me. And if they don't function well, well, then I don't have any need for them. This, same, this works the same with our relationship with God. But what if relationships had a divine purpose? What if God intended them to be more than we experience now? When we view our relationships in terms of formative relationships, then God and others are at the center. I value relationships in my life as part of God's plan to change me into His image. When I begin to see community as a means of spiritual formation, I begin to see every problem or struggle as a gospel opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness. See, when God and others are at the center, then every conflict is an opportunity for gospel growth in our lives. It's not you and versus me. It's God our Heavenly Father who gives us an opportunity to see where we are trusting in something other than in Him, and so we can turn repentance to Jesus and grow as his image bearers. I learned to think graciously about relationships. Anything I don't want to become 
is an opportunity to rely on God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power to love my neighbor as myself. And thirdly, I can actually love other people instead of using them. Because they're not a means to an end, God is the end, and I am satisfied in Him and able to reflect His grace and goodness to others. Last week, I was at uh, Breakforth, I think a number of you were there, and I heard Bruxy Cavey uh, talk about this word that I'd, I'd never really heard before in Greek, homothumadon. comes from two Greek words, homo and thumus, homo meaning of one mind, one passion, one purpose, and thumus being temperament. So I saw this temperament at the football game when I was watching it. The Patriots standing there together as a team ready to cross the finish line. And they were together and they knew they were of one purpose and one mind and they went for it. That's that feeling of, ugh, do it back to me. Ugh, come on, togetherness, ugh. That is relationship. That's how together we're transformed, is to have other focused relationships, to put God and others at the center. And I know there's uh, probably three types of people here today, uh, because all of us have messy relationships. And we all can think of someone in our life who, man, it is painful to think about them, because our relationship with them is broken. So today, maybe there's some confession that needs to be done. There's others of you who actually, your relationships are okay, they're still painful, but you, you need a lot of prayer. You need to pray for others. And maybe you've kind of let that relationship slide and you haven't re-engaged with them, and you know it is only going to take the power of God to transform that relationship so that you guys can be together again. And then there's others of you that have good relationships, and you just want to praise God today for those because you are living an other-centered life already with them. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to spend this last little time just in whatever you need to do, confession, praise, repentance, go to talk to somebody. The prayer team is here. They're over in the corner, and they're willing to pray with you. So if you want to come and just talk to somebody about it, AJ and her team are there.